Good morning. Great to see everybody. My name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm part of our preaching team. And when I was a kid, I grew up playing a lot of competitive uh, sports, especially baseball. And every Mother's Day, it seemed like I would have a baseball game. There was always a tournament going on, and so um, I would end up having a game on Mother's Day. And I remember a lot of the different uh, moms would sort of gripe about it. They'd go, I can't believe this. This is Mother's Day. Why do we have to be out here at the ballpark? But my mom loved being at the ballpark for Mother's Day. She would say, oh my goodness, there's just nothing better in the world that I would want to do than to watch my son play on Mother's Day. And if you know her, some of you know her, you know like, yep, that's Carolyn, that's exactly right. And um, well, today is my 41st birthday. <laughs> yep, thank you. And there is nothing I would rather do than what I get to do today, which is to preach John 3.16 on my birthday. Happy birthday to me. This is great. I'm so excited to do this. This is going to be a lot of fun. So let's get to it. Uh, last week we began John 3, and we were looking at this encounter that Jesus was having with this man named Nicodemus. We're told at the beginning of John 3 that he was a Pharisee, one of the rulers of the Jews. He's an older man. He's a religious leader. He's a who's who in the world of Jewish leadership. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus tells him something remarkable, something that doesn't seem that remarkable to us. Maybe we hear it quite a bit. We've heard it a lot. But it was absolutely revolutionary to Nicodemus, and it was this. You must be born again. Jesus says, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, if you're going to have eternal life, you must be born again. God is not looking for you to just sort of sprinkle him into your life and tweak a few things. He wants to make everything new. He wants you to go from being spiritually dead to spiritually resurrected and spiritually alive. And Nicodemus is confused about this. He doesn't really get it. And you see in verse 9, Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? And so Jesus begins to simplify this even more. He's saying, listen, if, if, you, don't explain, if you don't understand what I've said so far, it's going to be hard for me to go a lot deeper. So let me try to communicate to you in some really simple ways, Nicodemus, that I think you'll really understand. And that leads us to verse 16 of John 3, which is probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. It's a great gospel in a nutshell type statement. Now, we're a gospel-centered church. What that means is that we don't really have a lot to say. We don't have a lot to celebrate other than the good news of Jesus. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And we're a gospel-centered church. That means that we don't think that just the way into the kingdom is the good news of Jesus, but actually the way we grow in the kingdom in faith is through the good news of Jesus. It's not like we start with what God did for us and then it becomes what we do for him. No, no, no. It's always about what he's done for us and what he continues to do in and through us by his spirit. And, and so if we want to understand the gospel, it's great to come to a place like John 3.16. It doesn't have everything we would ever want to understand about the gospel, but man, it has some really key essentials. Here's how author Max Lucado describes John 3.16. He says, it's a parade of hope, beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same. Brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. So I don't know where you are along that paradigm, 
But if you, you just go, I don't know anything about here. Someone invited me here, and I am super nervous right now. I'm surprised the place hasn't collapsed, and I just feel sort of confused. Or, you know, you're kicking around online, and someone sent you this link, and you were like, I guess I'll watch it, but I don't know what to do with this. Start here. If you've been in the faith for a long, long, long time, right, you, some of you maybe even have John 3.16 memorized in the old King James. Return here. This is what we need to hear. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at five aspects of this gospel that are worth celebrating. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good news. Thank you for the message of Jesus, that you so loved the world that you gave your only son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. God, help us to understand that verse and the verses around us. Help us to see your heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So first, here's the first of five things that we see about the Gospels. We first see the motivation of the Gospel. The motivation of God in giving us the Gospel is that God so loved the world. That's the motivation of the Gospel. God so loved the world. Do you see that in verse 16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That is what was motivating God, was His love for the world. Now, a Jew like Nicodemus might have been totally expecting Jesus to say that God loved Israel. But Jesus doesn't just say that God loved Israel. He says that God loved the world. And what's motivating God to send his son Jesus is his love. You know, when you read the rest of the scripture, you read all sorts of great descriptions and analogies about the gospel, about this good news, right? If you get to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans or in Galatians, one of the things you find especially is a lot of accounting language a lot of legal language, right? We get the idea that there is a, because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, there's a debt that we owe, but that Jesus came to pay off our debt. We actually sang about that a moment ago, that, that we have this debt of sin. So it's like if God were to look at our account, we'd be guilty. And so what Jesus does is Jesus fills our account with his righteousness and he pays the penalty for our sin so that we can be forgiven, Right? There's also a lot of courtroom language in Romans and Galatians and other parts of the Scripture. Courtroom language that, that because of our sin, we are guilty, and we need someone to come and stand in our place as an advocate, and that's what Jesus does so that we can be set free. Right Now listen, that language is beautiful. It's important, but get this. Aren't you glad that the gospel is more than accounting? Aren't you glad that God doesn't just tell you, here's how I do the math of salvation, but here's my heart. God so loved the world. God loves us. God cares about us. We're important to him. I love what A.W. Tozer says about this. He says, to boil it down into familiar terms and words we can understand, I can restate this phrase by simply saying it means I mean something to God. You mean something to God. God has his eyes upon me, Tozer says, and is emotionally concerned about me. If this simple message could rise above the confusion of the religious world, it would offer hope to those who embrace it. The motivation of the gospel is God's love, God's heart, God's affection, God's desire to be with his people. The second thing we see from this text, though, is the availability of the gospel. Who is this gospel available to? Again, is it just for Jews? No, it's for the whole world. But, but, but who, who can have this? 
And the key word is in verse 15 and verse 16, the word whoever. Look at verse 15. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This gospel is available to whoever. To whoever. It's not available just to those people who kind of have their act together. It's available to whoever. God does not say, here's the requirements of all the things you have to do, all the ways you have to clean yourself up, all the ways you have to morally improve, and then you can come into my kingdom. No, 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 no. This is available to whoever. And the only qualification, really, is that you would be snake bit by sin. This is what John's referring to in verse 14. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, what's interesting, Jesus here again, he's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is struggling to understand him. And so Jesus is like, listen, let me, let me tell you, let me remind you of a story that you're very familiar with. <laughs> now, the irony is that this story that Nicodemus was very familiar with is a story that we are not familiar with. But what Jesus is referring to here is Numbers 21. And in Numbers 21, what had happened is God had rescued the people, he'd saved them out of slavery in Egypt, and they were wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and like they often did, they began to grumble, they began to complain, they began to whine, God, we had it better in Egypt, we don't like it here, this is really bad. And so God, disciplining them, does this, he sends into their camp a bunch of venomous snakes. And these snakes begin to bite people. And they begin to get sick. Many, it says, begin to actually die. And this plague of venomous snakes seems to be spreading throughout their camp. It's the discipline of God. And the people come to Moses and they say, Moses, we're so sorry. Moses, we blew it. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have rebelled like that. Uh, could you do something? Could you pray to God? Could you ask him to get rid of these snakes? Now, what's interesting is at that moment, God could have when, Mo when Moses prayed, God could have said, sure, it's done. Got it. They're gone. He could have just made it disappear. He could have made it where anyone who got bit just automatically lived. You know, he waters down supernaturally the venom or I don't know what. But he didn't do that. Instead, what he did is he said, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go uh, form, fashion out of bronze, a bronze serpent. And I want you to actually attach it to a pole and you're going to lift this pole up. And here's what it says in Numbers 21, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. How weird is this? I mean, isn't this strange? Like, God could have just gone, oh, you prayed, you were sorry, I forgive you, done. That's not what he does. He says, I want to ask you to do something that will seem nuts. It'll seem crazy. It'll seem pointless. You're going to go, what good is it going to be to look at a bronze snake? I probably need a doctor here. Like, what's going on? And what God is saying is, hey, I want you to look at that snake, and I want you to trust me. Trust me to protect you. Trust me to forgive you. Trust me to cleanse you. And so what Jesus is saying in verse 14 and 15 and 16, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You have been snake bit by sin. The venom of sin is coursing through your heart and your mind 
and your affections and your motives. And it's leading you to death. But if you will look up, right? Who could could experience this in the desert? Anyone, it said. Anyone who was bitten. Well, you've been bitten. And now it says, whoever. The availability of the goodness of Jesus is available to whoever. You go, wow, but, but, but you don't know what I've done. Whoever. Some of you say, yeah, but I've been, I've been really mean to Christians, and I've said some horrible things, and I've blasphemed against God, and I, I just don't know. Whoever. Yeah, but I've waited so long, and I've heard this so many times, and I've... I've I've waited and I've waited and maybe there's like an expiration date on this offer and I've probably passed it. No, no, no. Whoever. Who is this for? Anyone. It's for whoever. If you've been bitten by sin and you have, then the gospel's for you. Third element that we see in John 3 is the warning of the gospel. The warning of the gospel. See, if you've been bitten by the venomous snake. If you're one of the Israelites in, in Numbers 21 and you've been bitten by the snake, but you will not look to the serpent, what's going to happen to you? Class? You're going to die. Right now, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. I imagine some people probably didn't. There had to be some people like, that is so stupid, I'm not going to do that. All right. Bye. You're going to die. In the words of verse 16, you're going to perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You're going to die. You're going to experience eternal death, eternal separation from God. See, here's the deal. What sin is, is sin is saying, God, I don't want you. God, I don't trust you. God, I want to build my life apart from you. And and God gives rebels what they ask for. He says, you want life without me? I'm offering you myself, but if you will not turn to me, then you can have life without me forever. It's called hell. Away from the presence of the Lord, from the goodness of God. It's it's perishing. Now, when you put it this way, like, well, do you want to live or do you want to die? Right? This feels kind of easy. Right? Like imagine the snake big person. Would you like to live or would you like to die? Would you like heaven or would you like hell? It feels like the most obvious thing ever, right? Like I, maybe some of you have, have seen, there's actually a billboard here right off the 202. Um, if, you, if you were driving up Ellsworth and you get on the 24 and then you take uh, the 202 north, like toward the 60, there's a billboard there. And the billboard says, uh, where will you go, heaven or hell? And the heaven picture looks like this blue sky, and the hell picture looks like Arizona. <laughs> it's like blazing hot, and you're like, I think I already live in that place, right? And, and you're looking at this, and I, and, I, and I mean, praise God that people are spending money and resources. This is a way of trying to get the good news of Jesus out, right? But I drive by that sign, and I always think, who's going to drive by that and go, hell, please? I mean, it just feels like, well, duh, no one's going to pick hell. Do you want to go to hell or do you want to go to heaven? Uh, Heaven? Like, this is not hard. And yet, here's the reality. So many people don't look to Jesus. Well, why? 
Did Jesus alienate them somehow? No, Jesus came to save them, but, but they're, and we all are, condemned already when Jesus comes. Look, look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, Jesus didn't come to a neutral group and go, some of you to heaven, some of you to hell, some of you to heaven, some of you to hell. He went to a group that was condemned already. On the way to hell, already snake-bitten, already perishing, and in his grace and mercy and love, he offers life. But again, why would people not take it? Well, here's what it says in verse 19, and this is the judgment. Or you could say, this is the verdict. Here's why. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, here's the thing. Trusting in Jesus is not just about where you spend your eternity. It's about how you'll follow him now, entering the kingdom now. Right? And what happens is, if you decide to look to Jesus, if you decide to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, what you're saying is, I'm going to move from the darkness into the light. I'm going to let Jesus be the king of my life, the Lord of my life. I'm going to let him call the shots. And when you begin to live in the light, it's hard. Because all of a sudden, God, who is Lord of all, says, I want you to have a totally different approach to your money. Rather than your money being about you and what you can accumulate and what you can have and what you can enjoy and what you can spend, I want it to be about what you can give. Instead of you thinking that you own everything, no, 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 you're a steward of what I give you. That gets uncomfortable. And God says, hey, in the light, in the light, this is the way of life, but, but just so you know, the best way to live is, is means I'm gonna talk to you about your sexuality. See, because I make people male and female. And I know that the best and only way to truly enjoy the gift of sex the way I gave it and made it, because I made it, is in the covenant relationship of a marriage between one man and one woman. And you go, wow, I don't know, that makes me uncomfortable. And he says, listen, it isn't just about who you have sex with, but I actually want your mind to be pure. I want your heart to be fully devoted to me. And your heart's going to be so devoted to me that actually I'm going to have some things to say about your speech and the way you talk. And I know that you're used to in America to just be able to say, well, I have freedom of speech and I can say whatever I want, but actually you're going to answer to a higher authority and your words are going to need to be used to build up and to love and to encourage. And so there's going to be times where you don't say what you think because you love me. And this is going to be really hard when it comes to people who you don't like. Because you live in a world where it's eye for eye and you hit me, I'll hit you back harder, but that's not the way of my kingdom. And so you're going to have to love your enemies. You're going to have to bear with difficult grace required draining people. And in my grace, I put some of them in your house. Right? And, it's just, and you start to go like, oh. And, and here's the other thing Jesus says. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Which means signing up to follow me is not the fast track to popularity. 
you're going to be called weak, you're going to be called a bigot, you're going to be called all sorts of narrow-minded, you're going to be on the outside looking in of a lot of things if you really walk in the light that I came to give. So I go, whoa, okay, well, if you're talking like that now, I want heaven, but I kind of like the darkness. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Here's why you won't come to me, because the light's coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than the light. It's like St. Augustine, right? He was one of the early uh, great thinkers of the church, but before he was a Christian, he was a horribly uh, addicted sexual sinner. Like, he for sure would have been sent off to some sort of month-long, multi-month rehab thing for sexual addiction, and his mother was a believer, and she was sharing the gospel with him, and, and he had people around him telling him the good news of Jesus, and so he knew, he, he was under conviction that the way he was living was not right, but, and so here's what his famous prayer was, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. So here's what that tells me. For some of you who are objecting to Christianity, you're objecting to follow Jesus, you actually, you think it's because you have all these rational objections. Well, how could someone really rise from the dead? And what about the miracles? And da, 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 da. Your objections might not actually be as logical as you think. They might actually be moral. That you don't want someone else to be the Lord of your life. And there's a warning. That if you become the Lord of your life, if you stay the Lord of your life, you will stay away from the goodness of Jesus. It's a warning. So... To save guilty sinners like us who love the darkness, God sent his only son. And that tells us the uniqueness of the gospel, the uniqueness of the gospel. Uh, Jesus says in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. In other words, if you think you're going to get into my kingdom, if you think you're going to be able to ascend the steps, you can't do it. No one can ever get there. Jesus had to come to us. That's what makes him unique. He's not a good teacher. He's not a good prophet. He is God come from us, descended from heaven to show us who he is. Well, who is Jesus? Well, verse 16 says he is the only son, the one and only, the King James says, the only begotten. It means, it means the one and only unique son of God. The Greek word is monogenes, single genes, one and only. I have a, only one son. I've got three daughters and then one son, Hank, who just turned four. And uh, one of my favorite things, you know, he's, he's just, he's a huge delight right now. He's like uh, super happy. He's effervescent. He's been a huge blessing over the last six months. Um, and he'll sometimes be sitting with me and he'll look at me and he'll go, Dad, we're twins. <laughs> I'm like, man, I, in about 10 years, I'm going to remind you you said this. But... <laughs> Dad, we're twins, right? And he, we, we have kind of the same hair, and we, you know. And people actually have told me that, that have been, like, teaching him in kids' ministry, they'll sometimes call him Luke on accident. Well, why? Because he's my only son. Same genes. Now, even more than that, Jesus is the only son of God. If you want to see God, you look at Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature, it says in Hebrews chapter 1. So Jesus is unique. He came, descended from heaven. He's the only son of God. And, and what God does 
in order for us to have Jesus is incredibly unique. Don't miss this key word in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, Jesus didn't come to just be an example, and Jesus didn't come to just give better teaching. Jesus came to die for sinners. Jesus came to be the one who was lifted up on the pole so that people who could not recover from their sin problem could look to him on the cross and find grace and forgiveness and love. That's what Jesus came to do. The one and only Son of God crucified? That's, that's crazier than thinking you could look at a snake and have the poison go out of your body. God crucified for us? Yeah. Uh, Hank and uh, Mary, who's in first grade, they've been learning about weather. And uh, we're, they were trying to explain to Hank how you know, high-pressure systems meet low-pressure systems and weather events take place. So how do you explain that to someone who's four? So here's kind of what they said was, okay, uh, there's kind of like happy weather comes and sad weather comes and it collides and there's a storm and it's called weather friends. Weather friends. He's like, okay, I get it. The other day he was uh, sitting with Molly reading the Action Bible. If you have a boy, make sure you get one of these Action Bibles. They are amazing. It's like this graphic novel of the scripture. It's incredible, super engaging, and he loves it. And so he and Molly are sitting there, and they're looking at the story of the crucifixion. And Hank turns to her and says, Mommy, this is like feelings, friends. She says, what? Well, on the cross, you know, I feel really sad because of what they did to Jesus. But I feel really happy because this was his plan to rescue the world. It's feelings, friends. And she, she told me that. I was like, preach it, boy. Preach it. <laughs> Holy smokes, is that good? That's exactly right. This is the uniqueness of the gospel. That the worst, most grievous sin in all of human history actually becomes the way that God saves his people from sin. It's incredible. It's unique. You can't find any other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life because God gave him for us. Which leads us finally to the response of the gospel. What's the response of the gospel? Well, we see it in verse 15. We see it in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is a word that doesn't just talk about the longevity of life, but the quality of it. It's literally describing a life in the age to come. See, there will be a day when there's no sin. There will be a day when Jesus returns and he wipes away every tear and he makes all things new. And what Jesus is saying is that if you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you look to him like the snake bit people look to the bronze serpent, if you look to Jesus lifted up, you can begin the life of the age to come now. Relationship with God now. Power from the Spirit now. Freedom from sin and death now. So will you take it? Will you respond? I read a tragic story this week about a, a guy, Dr. Gordon, I think, his, I think you said Alley's, Gordon Alley's. He helped pioneer insulin treatments. But do you know how he died? Diabetes. 
what? The guy who helped pioneer insulin for treating diabetes died from complications of diabetes. What happened? Well, maybe he didn't know. Or maybe he just didn't use it the way he should have used it. I don't know. But here you are. You have a disease, just like I do, of sin. And now you can't say you don't know, because I've told you. So the question is, will you take it? Will you look to Jesus? Will you walk into the light? Will you find in him life, eternal life, life of the age to come? And will you begin to get a taste of that goodness even now? Oh, I pray that you would. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the goodness of Jesus. Thank you that there's just nobody like him. No one is wise, and no one is strong, and no one is sacrificial, and no one is good. And Father, that you would love us so much that you would send him. And that though he was without sin on the cross, he was lifted up to be treated as though he'd committed every sin that we've ever committed. God, that that comes out of your heart of love and your heart of kindness and grace. Oh, that's such good news. But Lord, help us to receive it. Help us to look to Christ. Help us to believe in him. Help us to turn from sin and death and turn to life in Christ. We ask it of you in Jesus' good name.